today on Geekdemine Powers. They, I have family in Tucson, um, and their their uh, their Saturday nights consisted of driving down the boulevard, and there was this big glass building, and they would look at themselves driving in the in the reflection, and then they would do a U turn and come back and do the same. <laughs> You are listening to Geekdom Empowers, the podcast about people empowered through their geekiness. Welcome back! My name is Guy Hasson, and you are listening to Geekdom Empowers. Geekdom Empowers is the podcast that highlights creators and fans in the geek world who do not often get to be highlighted. It's these people, it is us, who make up most of the geek world. And by talking to each person, by hearing their stories, Geekdom Empowers creates a huge, world-sized quilt of the geeks all around the world. Each person is a story, and together we are one story, one huge Geekverse quilt. Today's guest is independent animator Jim Luhan. This is a fun conversation where we go deep into his process, into what it's like to go 100% on your vision on working with Bill Plimpton and so much more. I don't want to spoil anything, but the tone of uh, uh, this interview is what you felt in the beginning with a Tucson story. So this is a fun one. Let's listen. Hello. Hello. Good afternoon or evening. I'm not sure which it is for you. One of those. For me, it's the evening. What is it for you? Morning? 11.24 a.m. 9.24 p.m. In the year 2027 for me. No, no. I mean 2001. <laughs> ah. We well, missed each can... other. <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you for coming. You've had on... Three people I know on your show. Very well, all three. The comic book people, Paul Pate. Javier. Uh, Javier Hernandez. And Omar Ken Wise. Mora, your inaugural. Ken Mora was in one of my movies, oh. actually. Yeah. Well, talk about that for a second. What do you mean? Yeah, he was, he was in Revengeance. Um, Ken Mora played a, a big, lovable, burly biker. Um <laughs> What was his name? I'll think of it in a minute. But he was, it was actually we recorded the dialogue at his house, at Ken Moore's house. He's got an audio, a real life audio booth in his house. It's pretty amazing. He's got a live audio what? A real, real life audio booth, like oh, a you know, like a glass, and the door closes and everything. Yeah. Um, at my house, I have a kitchen table, couch, you know. <laughs> And my studios, my just my house. Same here. And people have been starting to build another building next to my window. And, uh, <laughs> and it looks a like problem. a castle. Yeah. Kind of looks like a castle. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. The castle next door is, uh, is making trouble. Uh, and there's, is that the Death Star? I'm not sure. Mm. That's, good. Uh, <laughs> that's the early version. Yeah. Is your so your 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 podcast is is it primarily audio and then some video, right? Well, it's so far it's audio, and I release small pieces of the video in on video. Instagram. But yeah. I've had I've been having trouble getting it uh, on YouTube, and I think I've solved it. So all the episodes should also go live on YouTube. 
Wonderful. Yeah. Cause I did a search when I just, when I started listening to your podcast, I said, Oh, it'd be great to see the podcast too. Let me see. And I did a YouTube search and I just found the clips. Yeah, so. Some of my guests are really, into, you know, it's, it's, it's sad that I, you can't see the visuals of some, some of the things that happen. So uh, it's all going to go live. Uh, I had a problem. It took me time to solve it. And I am just one person trying to get three shows a week out. So, so what's, what city are you actually in, in Israel? It's a city called Mervaseret Zion, which is about 10, a 10 minute drive from Jerusalem. Okay. And if you drove from one side of Israel, from the longest point, how long of a drive is that? Well, the shortest point is about an hour and a half in a drive. Yeah, I know. Because it's, it's really... Yeah, it's like that. I think, yeah. you know, I don't really know. I'm terrible in geography. It's uh-huh. either six or eight hours, something like that. It's okay. Drive. I'm yeah, not it sure. Beautiful. Maybe it's a nine hour drive. Yeah. Yeah, everything I've seen looks really beautiful. It's been really interesting to go there one day. Well, I've just been on a special weekend. I saw in the Dead Sea, I didn't know this, there are are hills made of salt. And it doesn't look like salt. It looks uh, black. But there are hills made of salt covered by sand. It's pretty amazing. Wow. I wonder if there's any made of pepper. That's a, that's a question. Also, behind, on the other side of the border in Jordan, there are hills made of ketchup. So, you know. <laughs> Where are you at? I'm in, a, I'm in a very international town called West Covina. Mm-hmm. Not Covina, but West Covina. Big distinction. I'm sure there was a civil war at some point. But um, it's, I'm outside of Los Angeles, but it's more accurate for me to say I'm outside of Pasadena, California. Have you, do you know where that's at? Pasadena, yes. Los Angeles, yes. Never heard of Covina. West Covina. Internationally known. Just all kinds of espionage. And, you know, we have buildings that are over six stories tall in this town. Maybe not much over six stories, but it's a, actually, it's just a very suburban little town, um, there was a television show. I don't know if it, if you got it in Israel, but there was a television show called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Um, yeah. it, that took place in West Covina. Rachel Bloom, a really funny comedian. Oh, She's yeah, the that's one. That, the one. The, yeah, 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 the music. Yeah. Yeah, she does a song called West Covina, and it's just kind of making fun about how, you know, it could be kind of humdrum, but this is where I was. I grew up, so this is, you know, this is my area. <laughs> Well, I must say you have really tall buildings because I was in Tucson for a few years and the next <laughs> building was like two stories high. So. They, I have family in Tucson um, and their, their, uh, their Saturday nights consisted of driving down the boulevard and there was this big glass building and they would look at themselves driving in the, in the reflection <laughs> and then they would do a U-turn and come back and do the same. <laughs> that is an exciting weekend, you know. Exciting weekend. Yeah. Did you have Mexican food when you were in Tucson? Oh, well, I was a teenager and completely illiterate regarding anything that has to do with food. I'm food illiterate, so I had <laughs> stuff like that, but I can't say I, I had anything. If you were there when you were a teenager, I probably we were probably in Tucson at the same time because that's when I used to go when I, I was think a, I'm a older youth. Than you. I'm 83 years old this month. Well, see, I'm 102. <laughs> uh, no, I was there in the mid-80s. 
Okay. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. You might've been there a little. I think I was in the nineties. I was there. I have lots of cousins and stuff in Tucson. We were just talking about, it's funny. We were just talking about this yesterday. My other cousin and I, and we still like to go out there. We have a lot of, uh, young female cousins out there. And then they had a lot of young female friends and we were like the new guys in town. So it was like so much fun to go to Tucson. And then they would spoil us. They would cook for us and stuff. And it was, and then you come back to reality and you're like, Oh, I'm single. This sucks. Yeah. That was back in the days so though. That's back in the day. Back in the days. Uh, yeah. I, I really wasn't aware of, I was a teenager, so I wasn't aware of anything around me. It didn't have to do with me. So uh, there was a comic book store not too far away. There was a comic book store outside, a used comic book store outside the high school. So I would, uh, I would basically not uh, use my, uh, my lunch money and then go at the end of the day and buy some used comic books. And I saw Star Trek four when it came out there. <laughs> were you near there. the, were you near the university? No, but uh, my father worked there. So I, I visited. The oh, that's really funny. That's so funny. Yeah. I'm totally familiar with a mountain and Pima and all that stuff out there. Mount Lemon. Yeah, yeah, it's not loud. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Wow. And so, now look at, and now we're in international cities like West Covina and <laughs> sister cities. There we go. Um, no, it's it's a small, tiny, tiny. Uh, it's a town or something where I live. So give me how how like. I usually ask for people's origin stories, like. Uh, oh yeah, how sure. Did you get into. Uh, into animation and making films um so uh, as a kid i was a huge huge mad magazine fan i still love mad magazine but i I really really was into that and i thought i wanted to be a cartoonist one day when i grew up for mad magazine that was my like dream as a kid and then when i hit like about mm, 11 years old or so i started really getting into comic books primarily marvel comic books and then it kind of switched yeah it started switching to be oh i want to be john byrne when i grow up you know i want to you know do that so i was into comics for probably like five or six years hold on what age was this what age was this this is from like age maybe let's say 10 to like 16 10 to 15 around them and you wanted to be john Byrne, so you're already drawing a bit trying trying uh... yes yeah and i couldn't grow the beard though Still can't, but uh, um, I mean, yeah, John, John Byrne was a <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. J- uh, I John Byrne was like a big hero of mine, an art hero. So yeah, I've always drawn since I was a little kid. I mean, I was the kid in class when you should have been paying attention. I was drawing, you know, <laughs> and usually getting things passed around in class. Um, but so, I think around the age of fifteen or sixteen, I started getting into film, like. You know, and I thought, oh man, I would love to be a, a director, a live action director. And um, I started experimenting with that a little bit in my teenage years and, and up till my like early 20s. And then I realized to me, the big hindrance is when you do live action, you have to have a, a actors that show up. You have to have, you know, you have to film somewhere that you might get thrown out of, you know, you know. There's a lot of roadblocks that just to me, 
and I, and it wasn't at the time, um, it wasn't as fun. The logistics of it wasn't as fun as it was sitting down and drawing. And I thought, well, maybe I'll go back into comics. And then I, I went to a, a festival called um, Spike and Mike Sick and Twisted. It was a traveling, in, uh, traveling animation festival. And that's where I discovered independent animation. I said, these people are making their own cartoons. This is amazing. And especially one of them, Mike Judge, I discovered his stuff. And when I saw his stuff, I thought immediately, I thought, well, his drawing style is very similar to mine. Like, so it spoke to me right away. This is before Beavis and Butthead was on television. Yeah. And, um, and that, when I saw Mike Judge's stuff at Spike and, and Mike's, it, and something just, a light bulb went off and said, I want to do animation too. So I started doing, experimenting with animation. And I, at first I did animatic animation where it didn't move at all. And then I developed that to a little bit of movement all the way up to today where it's just a little bit more movement. <laughs> and, um, but I just fell in love with it. I, it it's, it's the story. To, it's, I, I fell in love with the storytelling aspect more than I did like animation. You know, I never want, really aspired to be a Disney animator. Couldn't do it. Explain that. Like, what do you mean the story aspect? So I would get inspired to tell stories about these characters, you know, um, just feverishly inspired, like, oh, man, I really want to tell this story about a boxer who throws fights for a living. That's his specialty, you know, and, and I think and I could just see the whole world in my head and I got to get this down. And so that's what uh, pushed me to learn how to tell these stories and how to put them out so people could see them in a format that people could see them. And but I never I've never been inspired by an animation idea like oh, it'd be so cool to animate this, you know, the waves crashing slowly and then have this, you know, I never thought visually in an animation sense like that, but I did think visually in an atmosphere type sense, like, oh, I could see the smoky bar and the purple lights and then, you know, and the waitress would look like this and then these guys playing pool would look, you know, so I did have a visual sense in atmosphere and in design and in characters and things, but I never thought, oh, won't it be cool that her hair the, <laughs> moves and animates in a certain way? I never thought that. That was all. In fact, that to me was like, ah, I don't look forward to doing that. But it's always it's always been the case, too. So it's kind of I, I think my stories are kind of an extension of what a graphic novel would be. It's it's um, it's just an extension of a story that's visual told in an in an animation format, but you pay more attention to the characters and the events and the atmosphere and the music than you do the actual animation. I kind of like a magician. I fool people. Yeah. At least I try. <laughs> well, it's so what I'm getting is that when you have an idea about a story, like you want to do something about the boxer, you imagine the stuff, the visual stuff that comes with it. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And if I don't, then I probably don't do the story. Right. Yeah. So, you know, um, it's uh, uh, the same thing you're talking about doing, you know, the stuff people doing for the animation. Some people can do for the story. I want something with a twist like this. So I want mm -hmm. something 
that's built in a way that you know you can do the same kind of technical stuff here and say oh, in movies you say I have to have five set pieces in an action movie and let's see what they are and then we'll find this a way to do the story around them yeah uh, um, I think with writing um, I really identify with that because for one for me writing has always sort of been a labor believe it or not. <laughs> it's always been something that oh, I, I have to write this part out because, you know, but, but I can see where, where a writer's mind just flows and they, they put their, their thoughts into words on a page. And it's just a, it's an, oh, it's a freedom because they don't have to worry about anything. They don't have to worry about the lighting, the casting, the, you know, they're just being free with it. And that's kind of how I am with my ideas for films. I start thinking, So what ends up happening is I've, I've kind of, I've told my friends this a lot. What ends up happening is I get this grand idea in my head and I can visualize it. And then I go to put it on, on screen and it comes out, always comes out about 60% of what I picture in my head. In fact, sometimes it comes out way different, but it's a nice surprise because when it comes out differently than what I imagined, when it's a, a happy accident, I can kind of look at it with fresh eyes. I can look at it more objectively, like, oh, I'm seeing this for the first time too. Like, I don't know where this is going and this is kind of working. And that's usually when you kind of follow that a little bit, but, but I never capture what's exactly in my head. And it's not necessarily better what's in my head. It's just different. It's, it's almost like if I went to draw, if you asked me to draw a picture of Steve McQueen and I went to draw a picture of Steve McQueen, you know, here's your picture of Steve McQueen. And you're like, wow, that really looks like Robin Williams. This is a great Robin Williams picture. You know, it, it, my intent is one thing and it comes out a little bit different a lot of times. Why do you think that is? Why is it different? I think it's some, somewhere in the, in the, in the actual hands-on logistics of creating things. It, it's the, um, it's the drawing, the drawing to begin with comes out a little bit different than I picture colors it's the adding every element that i add is is a it's hard to capture what's in your head on on screen but you when you get the the essence of it then it's very satisfying you're like okay that doesn't look exactly what i meant what i mean but it's very close and that happens and, and those are usually a lot of my favorite moments is when like oh that's that came out really close to how i pictured it you know and then and then that becomes the that becomes the norm. Like when, when you create something or like when I create something like that and I get used to it, then it, the idea in my head's gone. Like that's the, the one that exists becomes the, the standard. So it's kind of a, a weird game that goes on in, in the head. That's interesting. I don't think I, I want to delve deep into that, but let's take a side trip. What you're describing is also how people write for uh, drama, like for actors. Uh, in the theater or in uh, cinema because what happens is if you're a good writer you write the sentence in a way that leaves a hole for the play for the actor's interpretation so a different actor would do it a different way and, they, and good actors would do it great incomplete oh yeah way. yeah yeah so you leave part of the soul you leave you leave room for the soul inside the sentences you write And in the actions that they do and and it always becomes different than what you imagine because you can't possibly imagine other people 
Right. You know? And um, and and that's the magic. Yeah, that's I, I one thing I discovered um, that made me very happy was when I first started doing these, I did literally everything. I did all the voices, all of the music, everything. Um, and that was out of necessity because nobody else really wanted. I mean, yeah, I didn't know anybody that did what I did. Um, early on, I brought in a friend, his name's uh, Nisam, and I brought him in to sing my theme songs for me just because I like recording music with him. And he's, he has a great voice and he's funny, but I still did all the voices. This is for the first, you know, six years of, of working, doing animation. And then slowly I started bringing in a character here, a character. I'd bring in my brother to play a character. I'd bring in a cousin, bring in a friend, it's just kind of peppering it. Now it's the opposite. Now I, I am just like an ancillary player in my own films. And I have all the leads played by people that I, I, I select to work with because they're so good. And it's a, it's a new motivation for me. It's been like that for about five years. It's a new motivation for me because of what they bring to it. But you're exactly right. When I write things for them, I leave a lot of open space for them to go wherever it's working best or, you know, do whatever's working best. Um, so I've, I've, that's one thing I've discovered about myself is that when it comes to a performance like that, I don't think I'm super controlling, you know? Um, and I don't know if that's because I'm lucky because the people I work with, I know them real, I usually know them pretty well and I know kind of where they're going. So I just let them, let them go with it, you know? Um, and then I'll give guidance once in a while. I'll say, you know, things like, um, you know, maybe could, no, don't yell that line, maybe say it lower, you know, but uh, I just, I, I really enjoy what other people bring to my stuff because I did it for, by myself for so many years. You know, it's kind of fun. But it all comes down to whether you trust your idea is good or not. Like the thing you have inside your head is good or not. And do you, do you trust that to be good or do you, or do you just say, you know, this is the thing I want to express, whether it's good or not, mm -hmm. the way I want to express it. Uh, how does it go for you? Yeah, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think I trust my material. Um, it's usually, um, it's usually I, 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 I kind of know where it's going to end up, usually when I, when I start it. And I know what kind of vibe, kind of mood I'm going for. It's how I get there can kind of change sometimes, but I know where it's going to end up. And I know what type of feel at the end of the day, when the movie's done, I know how I want the audience to kind of feel like, wow, that was creepy. That was a creepy movie or wow, that was really funny. Or, oh my gosh, I see myself in that. Or, you know, there's a number. So I know where it's going to go. It's just how you get there is kind of the adventure. Now, when I was doing it by myself, um, it was similar but it's, I, I had to do everything. Like I had to do, like there was no, no room to relax because I had to do every single thing, you know? And now I can, I can let the performance kind of carry it a little bit too. And that's so much fun. You know, when you get somebody that's a really, like a Charlie Rossman, my friend, uh, when you get his performance or you get, you know, um, Elisa Copenhaver, some of the people I work with, uh, you know, Carmen Acosta, they're just, they're like magic. They just, 
you get them on a roll and you're like, Oh my God, you made this even better than what I, what I wrote. You know? So, and I get, it's like that with live action too. I'm sure you write people, write lines, mm. a line that is a, is a, a seven becomes a 10, you know, because of the person reading it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People, actors can bring to life bad lines, but if you have good lines, you know, they're built for actors to, to, to thrive in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wrote, <laughs> I wrote a movie once for one actor, only one actor I knew could do it. It was the best, the best actor in the country. I, no one's found him yet. And I was, uh, I just came to him and said, I'm going to write a movie for you. You're the only one who can play it. Will you agree to play in it? He said, yes, because, you know, one actor wouldn't agree to, to, to do that. Um, and that is like one of the only cases, I think, that I just needed his specific set of skills, which I've never seen before. If he would have said no, would you have still done the project? No. Wow. So you I were really serious about that. Completely honest about that. Only he could do it. So. Wow. And he did it, and he did an amazing job. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really proud of him. Um, anyway, I, it's the, the, the thing you described to me is uh, I really am trying to figure out how you, you know, your, the, your process. Uh, you have an idea that's yours. You say it's, you feel it strong enough to convey it uh, to the outside world. What happens when uh, you hit, you know, a snag and something doesn't work and you do go back and say, maybe my idea wasn't good enough. Do I find another way? Do I twist it to something else? Yeah. Um, how does that work? Um, you, that's, yeah, that's a tough one because usually by that point, you're kind of invested in time. You've mm -hmm. already put in the time. Um, I think what ends up happening, I find is it's in my case, it's usually not, oh, this needs something extra. It's the opposite. It's like, ah, these scenes that I was so precious with and I wanted to keep have to go. It's cutting, cutting out. Um, I can't recall. I mean, there's been a couple of times where I've changed an ending slightly, but that's usually a more visual thing. It's like, you know what? Instead of doing a close-up, I'm going to draw a giant crowd scene for the last shot or, you know, things like that. But it's usually a matter of getting rid of a scene that like, oh man, this scene is such a funny scene. It's so good, but it doesn't fit. There's no way to fit it in this. It, 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 the whole big piece suffers if this scene's in it and you got to get rid of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I find, uh, through reduction is where I find usually that's, that's where the challenges are. It's like, what do I get rid of? And you maintain your original idea. Mm -hmm. You have to. And, and with that piece, if you leave that piece in, it's, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Sure. So let's talk a little bit outside the process of writing. And, uh, so you became interested in animation and what happened? Like, how did you get into that world? And when did you feel good enough to do it? Like a lot of people, when I looked at animation, I thought, well, that's impossible. And there's no way to get into it. I don't have a giant studio or, you know. And 
early on, I thought, I thought to myself, well, I want to do this so bad. And sometimes I do it badly, but I want to do it so bad that I, I figured out if I filmed little index cards with a video camera, that would be my animation. You know, I, they wouldn't move, but I would just use editing to, to have characters speak. So something as basic as that, it shows that if you want something bad enough, you'll figure out a way to do it. And it might not be your ultimate end game, but it's a way you'll, you'll figure out a way to, to get your foot in that door. And then it was a slow process after that learning different, you know, little bits here, little bits there. Um, I also came around the time when the internet was just hitting its stride too. And that changed a lot of things because without YouTube, without, venues like that um i would only be playing festivals and that's a whole nother technical you have to get yourself on you know film and or, or you know on a format that they can play um so i was very lucky to get into animation at the time i did because the whole digital you know revolution was was coming along um i don't know what i would have done if it, if it would have been the 50s so what, maybe, was it, maybe. What, what was it like though too? So YouTube was a new thing. Mm -hmm. What you do? You put your uh, movies on YouTube. Mm -hmm. What happened? Like what did you do? Well, YouTube actually, funnily enough, YouTube came after I originally started doing the animations, and then I I got a public access television show, which is sounds ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I I did the anime. I I made several animated shorts you know little funny skits and shorts got them on video cassette took that video cassette down to my local public access tv station and said hey i i want a tv show if you can which is ridiculous and naive but sometimes when you're ridiculous and naive it works in your favor because you don't know that you're not supposed to do that and sure enough i met a I met a guy working there and he had the same sense of humor i did and he said, these are great yeah we'll put these on can, you got another episode? Yeah, sure. And I didn't. I had to run home and make more cartoons in the next two weeks. But that's how I started with that. And then I ended up having, I think there was a total of like eight episodes that ran over a course of like two years. Mm -hmm. And I had a little public access TV show that would show my cartoons. It was called Jim Lujan's Animatic Cartoons. And um, they didn't move. They were just the stills, you know. But But I did have music and I did have the voices and, and things that, cause I kind of came from a, a home recording background. I've always done music, you know, multi, like four track and, and things like that. So I understood recording and, and sound quality. And so they sounded really good. It's just that they were just like little stills that were just, you know, move cut back and forth. And then maybe a year after that, YouTube, I think came along and it was a matter of figuring out, I think I had a friend, digitize one of my cartoons and once he digitized it for me i understood like wow it's digital now i can put it different places now i could put it on youtube or on the internet and once that happened it was like for me it was game over it's like i didn't even think of film fests i didn't think of you know the public access tv i thought this is great this can go everywhere and uh so that's how i basically one hand single-handedly started youtube myself <laughs> Yeah, I take all mentioned. the credit for you too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how did you get to people after you published it? I would, well, early on was the public access TV and then YouTube. And then 
um, a couple of years after that, started doing local shows. In fact, I would um, organize animation. I was too afraid to have my solo animation show, like, you know, an actual show with an audience. But yeah, I figured if I gathered my friends mm-hmm. and met friends who did animation, for one, it's great to have peers. I wanted peers that were doing their own films. And then two, if I, if I collected all my friends together that did films and we, we did a show, we'd have their friends would come, you know, my friends would come, you know, and then they, it, you're opening your material to a new audience. And then they, they become your fans. And I figured that was my plan. So I did that for about five years. I, I would do local animated shows at comic book shops. Um, then I got a projector, an outdoor projector, a little a, a digital video projector. And then I would shoot it on walls and at some art galleries. Like we would do shows in alleys at art galleries. I think there's a little, an internet documentary on that too. It's on YouTube that we shot about that process, but um, we would just play. Yes. It's called light up the walls. So if you type in Jim Lujan, light up the walls, I think that it's, it's online. And I, I shot it and my friend shot it. And there's a bunch of us the artists. You get to kind of experience. That's probably 15 years ago, at least. Um, maybe around that time. But um, so it's kind of like guerrilla marketing. We would just play wherever. You know, we did that for a few years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of... Uh, the problem with that is, at the time, there weren't a lot of people making new stuff. So you ended up kind of playing the same stuff over and over and over. And I would always make new stuff. Like that would be my goal. Every show, like we did a show one month and we're doing one the next month. I would want to have a new cartoon to show usually. And, but it was, it was kind of hard to, to, um, to cultivate, you know, all, and plus that that's a whole nother headache when you're, you're the center and people, you know, and you have to organize everything. Yeah. So that's kind of where, where that became, I stopped kind of doing that. And then I did do some solo shows after that, you know, um, not since COVID of course, but, but we would pit, we, we rented out a theater in North Hollywood called the Raven. And we played um, a film I did called infinity pool. And it was so cool because they give you a marquee. So for a whole week on Lancashire Boulevard, oh. it's on. It, it had my name, it said Jim Lujan, Charlie Rossman, Infinity Pool. And all the animation studios are, are down, you know, they're driving up and down the street and they've seen our names in lights. So that was kind of cool. That was, I'd like to do that again, you know, except my latest film was called Pleasure Beast. And I thought about this, are they going to put that on a marquee? It looks like an X-ray, it sounds like an X-rated film. <laughs> So, Jim Lujan, Pleasure Beast. Yeah. Jim Lujan <laughs> is the Pleasure Beast. Is the Pleasure Beast. Yeah. XXX. <laughs> so, uh, but to, first of all, that's amazing to be able to rent out a new Avamar key. That's, that's, that was the highlight. That's, that was a huge highlight. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> how, uh, but what you're describing is 15 years. Like, you, you started to talk, you know, when YouTube began, we started this, did this, did this. But now it's this COVID, so we're not doing that. So that's like 15 years. 
So how, how did the audience, uh, do, do you feel the audience builds up over time? Do you, like, what do you- I, I honestly do. Every year of those 15 years or so, I've felt the audience grow. Now, the problem with that is it's like a slow, like a mold. You know, it's, it grows very slow, but it's growing every year. Like I've never felt like I've taken a step, ever taken a step back Mm -hmm. Um, every year. I made a film um, in 2016 with Bill Plimpton, like the king of indie animation. Like that's a dream come true. Mm -hmm. I got to make a film with him, uh, co-directed, I guess you could say. And I wrote it and designed it and he animated it and he distributed it. Yeah, it was incredible. And I thought after that, I thought, oh my gosh, is this, is this it? Is this going to mean that like I get that huge fan base I've always wanted? Mm-hmm. But I saw a huge bump, but still it's like, it showed me you still have to grow it yourself. Like there's mm-hmm. no magic, you know, no magic pill like that. Um, but I, I do feel, like I said, I'm, it, when I think about it, it makes me happy because I look back and I go, yeah, the year before that I had a little bit less the year before that I had left. So I'm, I am building it every year, but it is like a slow, steady growth, which actually, when I think about that, sounds like something a doctor would remove, but you know. (laughs) What it, it's one one of the things, you know, doing this, it's something I knew before, but talking to people, uh, uh, in this podcast, especially authors, or writers, writers are terrible at selling their own stuff. Like they can't describe their own stuff in any kind of way. Um, that includes myself. Uh, and uh, how do you do that? How do you get? How do you talk to people about your stuff? Um, you know, it's funny. Thank God for Mike Judge. Because then I could say, do you ever watch King of the Hill? It's, it's kind of like that, but it's, my stuff's weirder because <laughs> i mean he's visually he's the closest thing to my i can think of but um i i i yeah it's, it is kind of weird when you come to think of it, it i can describe my stuff my my the actual film like if you what's the film about but um but the genre that i do the adult animation which i wish there was another name for because that sounds sketchy, adult animation. It sounds like you'd something you, you have a curtain, shh, come see the adult animation, you know. Um, but yeah, I, t- I, I tell you, know, people, people, when they, if they meet me and they find out I do animated films, they really they go, oh, really? Because they're thinking Moana and they're thinking, you know, Ratatouille. And then I say, oh, no, I, well, I do kind of like and I kind of describe it and then and then they immediately switch to the Simpsons and Family Guy and I go well it's not really like that and then I think their reference just goes out the window they don't know what I'm talking about but um it's just if they know me then they get a sense of a sense of how my films would be because they're like oh Jim's crazy his films are probably the same way you know but if they don't know me it's hard for them to they there's their reference points are not really similar to what I do because none of my films have any punchlines. They really mm-hmm. don't. They're, they're not like joke, joke setup. They're just, if you think they're funny, they're just funny because of what they are and how they are, um, which is really hard to describe. So, you know, it's funny when you brought that, when you brought that up, I thought, Oh, I'm going to nail this question. This is going <laughs> to be easy. I got the answer. And then as I'm giving the answer, I'm like, 
no, I fall into that other category where you can't explain your stuff. <laughs> That's what I thought. Too, like he's going to explain to me how, the, the way he talks about it. It's going to be really easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to describe. You can't describe it. Yeah, it is. It is. But again, if you ask me about an individual film, mm -hmm. I can describe it. I can sell it. I can say it's a film about a housewife whose life becomes disrupted when a mysterious figure from her past comes back and is threatening to reveal, you know, and if you like John Waters films, you'll probably like this, you know, I could, I can sell it like that, mm -hmm. but for the entire genre of what I do, it, it kind of doesn't kind of almost doesn't exist. It's kind of like, I feel like these one-off films like this um, that aren't science fiction and aren't anime and aren't uh family guy and aren't you know whatever else it's they're they're probably out there but it's like they're hard to find yeah interesting and let's pick your uh, latest movie as an example like how would you explain to me what your latest movie is about so Ple pleasure beast which is actually the one it's about the housewife so it, it's a story about, i wanted to do a story for one i wanted to do a story that had a female lead because um, it's time. I mean, I looked at my last few. I'm like, uh, I haven't had a, just a full female lead in, in a story. And um, so it's about, you know, it's about, it's about keeping secrets and what you'll do to protect those secrets. And then especially when it involves protecting your family. So I think a lot of people probably can identify with that. There's probably lots of mm -hmm. secrets out there floating around that. But in this case, it's about a housewife that wants to hide her past. And I think it's really funny because especially people in our age range, especially let's even say the baby boomer crowd, the baby boomer crowd in the 1960s probably did some really sketchy things, things that were really like, if they came out, you'd be like, oh, what? Mom was in an orgy? You know, <laughs> probably like horrified, like the kids would be horrified. Um, or grandma was in an orgy. <laughs> but it, but those things never come to light. And, and everybody's got like a, a, everyone has a past. Whatever it is, everybody has a past that they kind of, they, it's not appropriate to bring it out. And that's what this film is kind of about. It's about what if that past comes right back in your face and you have to make a choice, what do you do? So it's, it's, it's about that. And it's about, it's about also about the fear of being judged a little bit. And, 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 and if who you are now, how much of that's related to who you were then too. There's like a lot of a lot of factors in that spinning. All those things sounds sound really interesting. Yeah. And so, in in creating your own kind of thing, you clearly it sounds like you're not looking for a job in one of the studios. You're not looking to. It's not just Disney animation. It's uh, you're not looking for a job in any of the the places that are creating movies, right? Not necessarily. I mean, if they came to me, if if the suitcase full of money, sure. <laughs> okay, we'll talk. But, but overall, uh, you're doing your own thing, and you've been doing it for a while. So, how do you keep? How are you able to do that? How, how can you maintain it emotionally? Well, financially, I've always worked. I've always, I've never been a starving artist. 
probably would lose weight if I was a starving artist, but I, I've never been a starving artist. I've always maintained a, a job, but at the same time, I've always been able to, to do this, to carve out plenty of time to work on this, always. Um, and now it's become second nature. And I'm married too. So I'm doing this without being divorced nine times. You know, I've, I've come, I've come to a good, um, I'm a good manager of time. I was just talking with a friend about this the other day. Um, I think it's because I don't play video games a lot and I don't watch a lot of TV. Mm. Um, you should see my Netflix watch list. It's got like a thousand things on it. And I haven't got, I haven't watched it. I'm good at putting them on the list. I'm just bad at going and watching them. But um, I think it's because I choose to, uh, to peck away at it. I constantly peck away at it rather than saying, okay, I'm going to go work on this solidly for six weeks. And then, and then I'm going to rear my head. I'd rather just peck away at it a little bit, you know, here and there. Like today, I'm going to be, um, uh, uh, for an hour or so, I'll, I'll chip away at the next thing that I'm going to work on, you know? And, and if you do that enough, by the end of a couple, few weeks, you have like, oh my God, I created this new thing. You know, whereas if you procrastinate and you, and you just think about doing it, you'll never, it becomes this huge mountain that you'll never want to climb, which is really, I just heard my father's voice in my head. Wow. That just, that was some dad advice right there, you know, son, <laughs> but it's true. It's true. You know, that, that old saying, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time with hot sauce. Uh, that just reminded me of how, uh, Elephants, how people scare elephants away with bees. Um, <laughs> elephants are really afraid of bees. Really? Because they're afraid they'll get inside their uh, trunks. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's great. I, I, I thought that was, I was, you were setting me up for a joke. Not a joke. <laughs> Why are elephants afraid of bees? <laughs> how do you stop an elephant from charging? You take away his credit cards. <laughs> there you go. But I'm bumping. Uh, but I've noticed that uh, in in the people you know, Ken Moa and uh, Javier, mm -hmm. uh, are able to 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 do this for a really long time because they are not in it for the money. No money would be nice, but they're not waiting for the next thing is going to make millions and I'm going to break yeah, out. Yeah, Because the disappointment that comes with it is awful. And yes. Yeah. Discouraging. Yeah. And they're not in it for to be super famous. Being famous is great, but they don't expect to be famous from the next thing or the next thing or the next yeah. thing. And then they're able to sustain it for uh, years. I'm, I'm right there with them yeah. about the no, no making money. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but by the way, both of those guys are hugely inspirational. I when I'm feeling down, I will put on an interview with either one of those guys and just oh. listen to it. Yeah. Um, and I've told both of them that too. Um, yeah. I know them in person, but it's really nice to hear them talk about their craft. They're really good. They really are um, great interviews, um, including the ones you did with you too. Um, but I, yeah, I definitely, I, I would, you know, people always say, oh, I would do this for no money. 
well, it's like we do this for no money is a lot of the times. And sometimes good things happen. The Bill Plimpton film with me was a direct result of because of what I've done out of love for so many years. Um, the Bill Plimpton film actually was done out of love because I didn't, when we were, I, I didn't expect, um, oh, this is it. This is the big Hollywood break. I just wanted to make a really good, well, two things. I wanted to make a really good film and I wanted to have a really good experience. I wanted at the end of it for us to still be friends and for us to look back at it and go, that was nice. I would work with you again. You know, and I think we succeeded because I'm helping him with his next film. So. Oh, nice. What, what's it like to work with him? Amazing. I can tell you, um, I got to see Bill, Bill Plimpton three feet away from me uh, in a hotel room working on the cartoon. Um, uh, so it's just, he's, he's the real deal. He's an actual, uh, I'll give you a specific example. Um, so we were in near Santa Barbara and we were there. I forget why we were there, but maybe we were showing the film or something. I don't remember, but we were at, at his hotel room mm -hmm. and he had, um, he took one of the lamps down and he took the top off and he had a, a glass sheet and he was using it as a light table. You know, and I thought that's so like, I don't know. I don't want to say it was ghetto, but I'm like, Bill, can't you just buy yourself? And he's like, no, this works right. No, but, but to my amazement, I looked over and he was redrawing. There's a car. It was a car scene with a person driving. He was redrawing like every shot. Like he'd get the next piece of paper and redraw everything with a slight movement, including the little shading lines and shadows and stuff. I mean, he was drawing it with a belt, with a ballpoint pen, just really fast. And then each shot would be different. I saw him in a period of like an hour. He probably did like 20 or 30 of those. And I thought to myself, that is the opposite of me because I would figure out every lazy way to not redraw something <laughs> and try to cheat it, you know, and he does not cheat. He's just one after another. And And then it also made me realize, well, that's why he's so good. That's why when you ask him, Bill, can you draw a hand like this? You know, he can draw it like that out of his head. And not me. I'd have to look at a piece of uh, a reference photo. But um, yeah, so that the words, the real deal come to mind when I think of Bill Plumpton. He's a genuine, the real deal. Like a, as good as you think he is, he's probably better. He's really, really, really good. So, and he's a, he's a funny guy, a nice guy. He likes, has a good sense of humor. And, and I think he can also appreciate people that do things out of the love of it too. Not just, you know, the, whatever the flavor of the month is. Nice. And can you, uh, can you talk about the next project? His next project you is, yeah. He, he's, oh, my next project. I'm going to announce it. I think on November 1st, I can, I can say a couple of things. Um, it's going to be, self-made like just like the last couple I've done um it's gonna be uh it's gonna feature a character that if you go back to my film all called all that glitters there's a character in there a lawyer his name is Danny Fingerman and he it's gonna he's gonna be kind of the lead in this and beyond that is a lot of uh Deacon Burns mm -hmm. Charlie Rossman and Matthew Warren are three voice actors confirmed in it so far. 
And then beyond that, um, I'm sure a couple of other people will be added, but uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. I'll announce the title and everything probably November 1st. Cool. Right. Did, maybe I misheard you, but I heard you said you're working with Bill Clinton on something? No. Yes. Yes. Uh, his, his next film is, is called Slide. And I, um, it's a Bill Plimpton um, story and uh, it's totally his idea and everything, but he came to me and asked me if I could help add some characters and add some things like that to it. And then he wants me to do some voices for it, which I, I just always, whenever he asks, I, I just say yes. I'm like, yeah, whatever, whatever. So I don't know the details of, of when I'm going to be doing the voices or what voices or, you know, but I know that some of the characters I helped them design on it. And um and um, I actually helped him name it on purpose. I was very sneaky because he didn't have a title and, and the lead character plays a slide guitar. And I told him, Bill, why don't you call it Slide? That's a great, and I just sold him. I was like, Bill, that's a great name, Slide. Oh boy. And he's like, yeah, that is a good name, Slide. And then I was like, yes, I had something to do with naming his film. <laughs> I left my mark on it. <laughs> I was super happy. But he's, it's really a Bill Plimpton film. It's even way more so than Revengeance was. This is Bill's baby. This is Bill's film. And I just, on the outside, I'm just helping him with a few small things. So nice. It's amazing. Yeah, he, he's, it's, I've seen, there's a few preview clips they put up of it, and it looks incredible. Like the colors, his wife, Sandrine, does the colors. Um, she did Revengeance as well. And it just looks really good. It's like, there's nothing like it. It's so nice to see a human being's touch on a film. That's one of the things I always say about 3D animation. I love 3D animation. I really do. Um, when I watch 3D animation, a lot of it looks the same. The characters, they look kind of the same. Like they just took them out of the same toy box. And, um, and it's great, but I like the fact, like on a Bill Plimpton film, you can tell he drew it, you know, or there's a few other creators like that, like Taratovsky, I think his name is Glendon, the guy that did Samurai Jack and all that. I mean, you can kind of tell when he works on something, you know, there's, there's a few guys out there, Robert Valley, amazing animator. He's incredible. Robert Valley, when he does something, you can tell he did it. There's a guy, Jim Lujan. So fantastic. So what a great guy. He was into someone, yeah. Yes, I think he just did an X-rated movie called Pleasure Beast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, is there anything uh, you want to say that we didn't cover that you want to go? Um, you know, I'm always trying to build my audience, so it, my YouTube channel has been really important on that. Um, I would just say um, I have a shockingly low number of YouTube subscribers for the amount of stuff that I've put out over the years, but I'm not bitter about it. But you know what, it would be nice to have some more. So I just have people check out my YouTube channel. Um, you know, you can, I'm, I'm also on in Instagram and all that stuff and Facebook. Uh, I have a Patreon, I also have a Patreon. So thank you to all my patrons out there. Um, but mainly my YouTube channel, that's where I, uh, jimluhan.com points you to my YouTube channel. So that's an easy way to find it. We'll put on all the links in the show notes. There you go. Yes. Good. Listen, thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you and meeting you. 
thank you too guy and you know what thank you for doing this because the fact that you're you're showing the audience people that they might normally not get to see well that'll help them check out new work and through checking out their work they'll find other work and it's kind of how it works and and hopefully you you benefit directly from it too well the thinking is that most of the people there are so many people walking out there but you know most almost no one hears about yeah exactly you hear about like the few in hollywood and the few make it to television but there are so many people who do amazing work and right it's, it's just not covered and right, I, also, exactly. I, i also plan to do fans which i'm not really getting to but it's it's planned uh you know super fans of they're also making up the nerd world and uh, the geek world and uh, there's so many of them so many types and so many different categories and, uh, well you also have a really you have a really great instagram too i checked that out and i subscribed to it so it's oh. really funny you post some really funny stuff on there <laughs> well the funny stuff depends on the guests you know uh we get you know i just post pieces from uh from this from the interviews that i think people really like Uh, you know, there's some, uh, we're recording, at the time we're recording this, in a few days, you're going to get a lot of stuff about uh, racism, which uh, gave me nightmares, but, you know. Uh, yeah, that's, you know what, I thought, how long has the human race been around? I think we should have figured this out by now. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we'll figure it out before we're replaced. Yes, people, replaced. just people need to learn to hate Learn to hate people for other reasons, but not their race or ethnicity or religion. Yeah, hate for the right. Hate them because like they have hate people that have really long eyelashes or really short eyelashes. Sure. That's okay. We can let you have that. Mm-hmm. Not the well, other what stuff. What kind of TV show they like? Stuff like that. Yeah. There you go. That's there we go. That's that sounds like a fair solution. We don't have, we don't have time for the other stuff. Thank you so much to Jim Luhan. This was fun. You can find him here at his website, jimluhan.com. Luhan is spelled L-U-J-A-N. In the show notes, you'll find links to his YouTube, his Patreon, his Twitter, his Instagram, and uh, his lots of places. But check out his YouTube where you can see his movies. Now, next time, Jim is leading us into next week because we are going to have a theme week. This time we go... Uh, into what I like to call Hollywood Week. No, I'm not going to interview the celebrities you know. I'm going to interview people who work in movies and TV shows that you know, but people that you've probably never heard of. So many people create those shows, and we always look just at the actors or, you know, uh, the directors sometimes, the, ri- the writers sometimes, the producers sometimes, but so many people are behind that kind of stuff. And some of it's really fascinating. So Hollywood Week begins next week. And I waited to release the Hollywood Week episodes because, uh, at least the first one, because I wanted to, I want the Eternals movie to be out, which I haven't seen yet. I'm going to see it. Uh, but the next episode has to do with the Eternals uh, and the Wheel of Time and upcoming stuff. So... Check that out next week on Monday. What did you think about this episode? Email me at guy.hasson at geekdomimpowers.com. That's guy, G-U-I dot H-A-S-S-O-N at geekdomimpowers.com. 
The website is geekdomimpowers.com. On Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, we are at geekdomimpowers. But my name is Guy Hasson. If you want to check out my other podcast, The Squash Bucklet Diaries is an experiment in uh, epic fantasy. Feel free to check it out. I will see you next time. And for now, have an empowered day.